Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. The analogy I use quite a lot is like climbing a mountain. You know, when we're a kid, mountains are always drawn as triangles where you go straight up one side and straight down the other side. But in reality, a mountain is a bit of climbing, then a plateau, then a bit more climbing, then a plateau. And those plateau periods are the periods where you get to re-energize, re-strategize, refocus, rethink before you go again. This is Nick Cram, who is a transformation coach and author. He's on a mission to challenge leaders to consider better before bigger. And we discuss how many CEOs think they're in control of their business, but in reality, they may have created a business that controls them. And Nick shares, especially business owners, don't feel the freedom they want from their businesses. It means longer hours, more fires to put out, and an ever-increasing number of demands on their time and health. We discuss what growth is and should be for many businesses, and how most of them get caught up in the constant pursuit of hyper-growth and beating yesterday's results. Nick gives some great advice how to manage growth better through the life cycle of a business. And we also talk about the power of having a clear purpose and strategic direction to ensure that you are navigating the current complexity and uncertainty with ease. Nick shares his learnings from the last two years and what many CEOs are struggling with right now. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. Please also download a free copy of From Fragile to Agile, a white paper created together with Bissimply. You can find it on bissimply.com under the resource tab or in the link in the show notes. And we have some great insights and solutions for improving your leadership game in this piece of work. As you listen to the conversation, please hold on tight to the thought, better before bigger. If you are a bit like me uh, and, uh, and have read a number of books to improve yourself and your business, I think you will find this conversation today super interesting. And uh I was very lucky to get a copy of a, a book from from Nick, that's the guest today, and and we're going to come back to the book in a in a moment. But it's called Better Before Bigger, and it comes a bit into my thinking and what I've been talking with David Chenery about as well is growth and actually how we maybe use this moment in time to think about growth, but also where we want to go in the future. And uh, I've been reading, as I mentioned, a lot of books about business improvement and actually funny enough when i read this book it was one of them i actually don't think i said that to nick and now he's probably gonna smile a bit it was one of them where many of the books i've been reading actually came together in some kind of format it felt like the ecosystem started to uh to 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 work together i think i should 
I should have written this book. And I'm probably a lot of people have been thinking that this is plain simple. This is straightforward. This is how it should be. So, so Nick, he, 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 uh, he, he broke the algorithm in some kind of way for, for management book for, for my, for my, for myself. Definitely. That was the experience I had. So with that said, welcome to the show, Nick. Uh, and it's a great pleasure to have here. We, we talked a couple of times before you, you came on the show, but uh, today it's happening. Hi, Michael. Thank you for the invite. Really looking forward to the show. Nick, uh, I've already you know laid the ground for we're going to be talking about better before bigger. But for people that haven't met you and heard about your ideology and your, your philosophy around what you do, can you give people a bit like you know, the elevator pitch on uh, who Nick is and what you are doing now to help CEOs uh, making their business better? Sure. So Nick spent 15 years as a business owner. So I ran a health club and I ran a preschool and nursery. And with hindsight now, I realized I became trapped by the business I'd created. They worked well. Um, they serviced the need of customers. Um, they employed lots of people, but they didn't really serve me. And there wasn't a big enough vision for them to grow past a certain size. So the 2008 recession came, I had to close one of the businesses, I sold the other one. And then I started working as a business coach, business advisor, business consultant, just helping people out on their businesses. And that was about 13, 14 years ago when I started working in that space. And over that time, I've worked with a whole range of leaders from different size companies. So startup to mature companies, £100,000 turnover, £10 million. Um, so a full range of leaders at different stages of the journey. And what I've been doing over that time is really observing what the difference is between the businesses that are sustainable and scalable and the ones that aren't, and trying to, as you say, work out what the algorithm is and what that magic is that enables a business to get from adolescence, which is in my language, a business which is around for a while is successful, but can't scale much further in its current size and shape. So what does it take to get from adolescence to maturity? And that's my particular passion is that stage of business growth. Cause I think there's lots of people out there and lots of stuff written about to how to scale, how to grow a business and how to get a business off the ground. But I think the really interesting stage is where you've got a successful business, but you need to transform it in order to grow further. It's reached the limitation of its current organizational structure, maybe the current people, maybe the current offering, but there's something limiting it. So my ideology in the book is all around what to do to move a business from adolescence to maturity and at the same time to get a business that you work for to one that works for you. I got trapped by the business I created and I ended up working for the business. And I want to help leaders avoid that trap or if they're in that trap, escape from the trap. You work with a, a range of, of different companies and also you've written a book around this. As, a, as I mentioned, there's a book on, on your version of the, the algorithm. Um, and uh, but how, how, do, how do you normally engage with companies and, and how typical? Because it take, you have to be brave as a CEO. That's definitely my experience also working with CEOs to say that 
hey, I need I need some help. You know, uh, Nick, can you come and and help me? How, how, what is normally happening in their world when you were uh, start to to work and engage with a business, even in startup phase or more mature phase? I, I think there's a couple of things happening, Michael. For one, they're feeling overwhelmed. They're at the stage where all they're doing is going from meeting to meeting, putting out fires, solving other people's challenges and problems, and they're just in reactionary mode. So they're reacting to what the business needs from them. And they're just questioning in their mind why it's still like this. They understood that it was going to be like this for a short period initially, but this is five, six years down the line and it still feels the same. They promised their partner and their family that they'd be home for dinner in the evenings and they wouldn't be working weekends. And yet they're still not home in the evening and they're still working weekends and they still take their laptop on holiday with them. So they're at the stage where they're losing certainty on what they should do next. They are successful if you look at it from the outside in. Some other people see them as successful but they're not feeling successful as leaders. And because they're losing certainty, they're starting to question their leadership ability. And that's the natural stage where I would get involved with a company where they just want something different and better, but they're not quite sure at the moment what that is because more of the same isn't attractive. Um, um, and what typical happen when you start to early engage with them? So you, you come in and... Uh... How do you actually get started? Because I think when people listen to this, I'm I'm hundred percent sure if people raise up their hand, there'll be a majority of leaders or CEOs listening to this will say they have that feeling, you know, or just or had it at some point where they were really stuck. And I I would say I've been there myself a number of times where you really feel that the business is, even though you went in with the intent that the business shouldn't be running you, it's running you, and you're not on the business. You are very much in the business. So, so the first engagement typically is one-to-one -one with the CEO where we work through what's holding them back, what the obstacles are for them, what the gap is between what they've got in terms of a business structure and what they need to realize their vision. So it's really a reality check with me facilitating a conversation around what's really missing for them and getting them to be clear and transparent about what they would like to create rather than what they've currently got in front of them. Because I think as business owners, we forget that we're allowed to change things. We're allowed to move our strategy. We're allowed to kind of resize our organization. And I think we get trapped into believing because we've got a certain strategy or got a certain size organization or delivering in certain markets, we've got to do more of the same, just keep going, keep going, and it will sort itself. So it sounds bizarre, but a lot of what I do is give people permission to step back and do something different, knowing what they know now, if they were starting their business tomorrow, what would stay and what would go? It's a really interesting starting place if you were working with a CEO to start with that, you know, metaphorical white piece of paper and say, right, let's design the new business. And once we design the new business, we can talk about how we can transform the existing business towards that vision, because it's easier to create that vision on a blank piece of paper 
than it is to take into account the current business and try and move it across. Yeah. We, we go a bit up in the helicopter because one of the things that connected us uh, was a podcast I did with David Chenery, already mentioned in the intro, around growth. And your book starts out with talking about this uh, complex matter, which it is because uh, we all learn in business or business school that you need to grow your business and it. You need to grow it day on day, week by week, month by month. Uh, if it's not the top line, then it's the bottom line. Um, and you think a bit differently about growth. So you approach, you're not saying growth is bad, but it's about how does it fit into the world of the CEO and the business they're running. Yeah, and I think it's about breaking down what we mean by growth. Because I think a lot of the time when we talk about growth, we default think about the top line. We need to grow our turnover. And that, for most people, is the simplistic version of growth. And I think that in order for a business to scale from adolescence to maturity, often there needs to be a period of what I classify as a plateau period where you get time to get better. You can improve your systems. You can improve your processes. You might need to improve your people. But it's that period of consolidation before you grow further. So the analogy I use quite a lot is like climbing a mountain. You know, when we're a kid, mountains are always drawn as triangles where you go straight up one side and straight down the other side. But in reality, a mountain is a bit of climbing, then a plateau, then a bit more climbing, then a plateau. And those plateau periods are the periods where you get to re-energize, re-strategize, refocus, rethink before you go again. And I think the mistake we make in business is we keep going, keep going and expect our people and everyone else to be able to do so. You know, after the 20 months everybody's had, there's a lot of fatigue out there. And if CEOs and MDs are thinking like, okay, well, next year we'll just grow another 20%. You know, have you really got the capability to do that? Have you got the organizational structure to do that? It sounds great, but is it realistic right now to do that? Or for the medium term interest, is it better to take a period where you consolidate? You work out what markets you need to be in. You really work out your offerings. For a lot of us, our offerings have changed massively over the last 20 months. You know, we've moved more online. We don't have to deliver in person. But there's a lot of shifting still to be done there. And there's a lot of opportunity. And I think, as we were talking to about before the call, I think the danger is we pay lip service to it rather than really spend the time on working out what the business could look like. And that's the plateau period where we think about our people. Have we got the skill set on board that we really need for the next stage of the journey? Do we need to train existing people better? Do we need to recruit some people that have been there and done it that can help me on the next phase of the journey? So the idea is not not to grow, but it's at a certain period to think about getting better first before we get bigger. And for that period, it could be three months, it could be six months, it could be 12 months. And during that period, bizarrely, what actually happens, Michael, is a lot of time the profits increase. So because we're focusing internally, we actually generate greater profits. 
So a lot of the time we realize we don't actually need that top line growth to be quite so dramatic. Because as we know, as business leaders, it's not about the top line, it's about the bottom line, you know. And I think that that period where we're consolidating gives us a chance to review everything so that after that period, we have a leaner, we have a tighter and we have a more focused business for the next stage of the journey. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting you say that because especially I come from an industry and many listen here on them. It's always been driven by openings of restaurants. It's a, it's a great example. We need to open X amount of restaurants. Um, but that's a, that's a spreadsheet exercise. The, 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 the real challenge is not making the spreadsheet looking great from a sales and profitability point of view. Exactly what does, you know, making the organization deliver that. And actually, is that always what I call the organizational muscle? There's a challenge here because I've been there myself in my 20s, had a massive responsibility and said yes to a challenge. But actually where we said there was so much opportunity, we kept on saying, yes, yes, great opportunity. We can add more revenue. We'll we'll we'll, we'll run with it because we're going to make it happen because we're not going to get the opportunity again. And it was such a, a learning for me that, you know, it's not about saying yes to all growth opportunities, even though they look, amazing exactly saying no more than saying yes and actually having these periods of rest because actually what happened is exactly what you said we burned out the organization and the good people left or lots of the good people left and that actually became our biggest challenge not creating sales but actually having finding new good people and actually maybe convincing some of the old people to come back because we've learned but people don't believe you it's like you break trust with the organization when you do that that was my learning how important this is actually you, you say plateau but how important is purpose and strategic direction in this you talk a bit about strategy coming back to the purpose of the organization because an organization always starts for a reason and most of the reason organization starts are quite good they're quite heart-centered they are but i think what happens sometimes is they get pushed to the back i think that the drive for profit the drive for growth can override the aligning the purpose of the organization. And I think this plateau period, the first piece of work I do with a CEO or an MD is to really get them to think about their purpose and as importantly, be able to articulate it really impactfully to all of their stakeholders. So, you know, not just their employees, but their customers, their clients, their suppliers, their shareholders, the best performing organizations are the one that have one version of the truth. There's a real transparency because there's just one message and that message is the same message, whoever the audience is. And they're not having to tell a different story to the shareholders, to the employees or the customers. They've got a really purpose-centered business and they've got a really strong clarity on their mission. So I think those bits, Michael, are the bits that have to be done first by the CEO, because in the end, that comes down to them. And then they have to get people on board. And it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously, in your industry, it, there's a lot of younger people being employed, and that's a big part of the workforce. And we're told constantly that the younger generation only want to work for companies that are purpose-driven. And the purpose is one of the things they bring up in interviews. 
you know, they've got no problem asking the person interviewing, okay, so what's the purpose of the business? Where are you doing good in the world? You know, and it's a really important consideration now, both in terms of recruiting employees, but also retaining staff. You know, retention is a big challenge for a lot of businesses right now. And the ones which are purpose-driven, that have a really clear mission and a charismatic, inspirational leader driving that vision will retain more people than someone that's much less clear, that's more kind of go with the flow, see the opportunity. We want to kind of follow people. We, we want someone to believe in and someone to trust and someone to kind of inspire us. So I think getting really clear on your purpose, getting really clear on your mission, your values, all of that stuff is really important plateau work where once you've got that, you can then redesign the business. You can restructure the business around those core commitments. It's also very interesting when you talk about, you know, the purpose and, and the story that the stories you can use because these stories are so clear and people can remember them. And there's a lot of people, you know, we have a, a shared, uh, you know, uh, fascination of uh, David Hyatt and uh, Hyatt Jeans and uh, Howie's and uh, the Do Lectures, what else he's done. And he's built it all on stories. Uh, and they're not fakes, they're real stories, but he scales stories. And that was came to me, it was like an investor that said a couple of years to me, he said to me, he asked us in the, in the due diligence at one of our meetings, he asked, how are you going to scale the story? And I looked at him. Uh, what do you mean in principle? And he got us in a way because you have a great purpose, but how are you going to scale that story? And we had to go away. And it took us actually two years really to understand how you scale that story. And actually it was not so much about the product we were selling. It was much more about the knowledge we have and how do we actually create content? How do we involve our stakeholders in that one version of the truth? And when we got that very clear, it was very easy for us to see how we scale the story, both as a product, a story, and as a company, and our, our, all our stakeholders, how they would be part of that. And you're so right. It becomes so much easier to talk about the business because you don't have to explain all the details. And, and you become uh, implicit. It looks like you're a very char charismatic leader without being you know, a narcissist. I was thinking that very important that also introvert, and it's not about being introvert and extrovert. It's actually about being able to articulate clearly what you want to change in the world. And that's why people join you, because you're changing something. So that was, that was a long way around just putting a tail into it. No, it's, 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 really, it's a really good example, because I think that being a good storyteller is a really undervalued attribute for leaders. I think leaders would look, work on lots of other skill sets before they went on a course to be a better storyteller. But it's almost like it should be day one of leadership school is being able to articulate your story effectively, whether it's on video or written or whatever. Because, you know, in any situation, we want a charismatic leader that we believe in. And those are the businesses where, as you say, it's not about introvert or extrovert. It's about believability and whether you can believe and trust the person in front of them and whether you want to be part of their journey. Yeah, and also because I've been in big corporate and I have different bosses. Some of them I believed in more than others. And that was their ability to tell the story about where we were going and why we were going there. 
and why that make a difference. I, and I didn't, I don't understand that before today, but in my twenties, I definitely didn't understand it. But it was something, it was some kind of energy. There was something different in them, and there's something that drawed me to them. Uh, and they were not like you know a JFK or any kind of thing, but they had that belief: we're going to do this, and uh, and they were able to tell the story of how the world could look and the change we will be part of making. And, and we did it because they made us believe in the the outcome before we start building it. And then, of course, there's a lot of leadership tactics and, and so on, what you do in there. Um, but do you think that leaders in this time, you know, we're in now with, you know, all the complexities, actually spending enough time, if we take on a month, on a weekly level, you know, are they spending enough percent of their time on strategizing or they're in the business? as it is right now, because this should be the time. It's the time to change the playbook. We're never going to get a better opportunity, I guess. I, I think, sadly, not enough people are spending enough time out of the business. I think that they feel, understandably, that they need to be back in the business, running things on the floor, um, directing, observing. But the reality is, is that the hard bit of leadership time, I think, is the strategy time away from the normal business. I encourage all the people I work with to spend at least a day a week in a third space, which is neither home or office, but it's somewhere where they can go and be creative. So it might be an outdoor space. It might be a nice hotel where they can sit in the reception area and just think. But I think the, the real important leadership work is need to be done away from the workplace where you are thinking about what you really want and strategizing. It's very difficult. As I say, when I ran my businesses, some days I would spend 12 hours reacting and I wouldn't do anything proactive. I would just react to situations that came up. And at the end of the day, I was knackered, but I hadn't actually achieved anything that I really wanted to achieve. And I think that's the danger of staying in the business too much time is you get drawn into conversations you don't need to be in. You attend meetings that you don't really need to be there. And I think that getting out of the business, you know, mastermind groups, different groups of people that can start different conversations with you is really important rather than just staying within your same ecostructure with people that think and know exactly what you think and know and this idea of echo chambers where unless we get outside of the norm we can't find different solutions because we're just staying with people we know and i think it's a really important time for leaders to get out there mix with other leaders but also just spend time on their own and really work out given all that we've gone through right now what do we now want to create what does our ideal business now look like? Because it's changed for a lot of us. Things have shifted. But have we really thought about what the opportunities, as you say, Michael, around that? And have we given it enough time and depth to really understand what we could now build? It's almost, what you're saying, it's almost going in like a, into a, a listener researcher instead of this reactive person by the front line. You're almost going back into investigating your own organization really trying to understand what what works and also the market for that sake what what are the opportunities are we actually positioning right in this market are we actually you know 
fulfilling the needs that customers have or are we actually just you know doing a commodity product have we actually ended up in a commodity category out knowing it and then we are competing on price and therefore there's only one way it's to drive price and that's the only few businesses in the world that can do that with success or there's only one or two in every market isn't there that can actually have the lowest price strategy and win um and as you say just the courage for leaders to go and spend time with their biggest customers and understand what's happening with them you know what does their world look like now what's their plans for the next three years you know there is that opportunity to actually really understand better and deeper before we put in a new strategy um so i think yeah we're aligned on our thinking there michael i think it is a it's a step into the unknown but it helps them realize what they want to create and what they could create and if we take that into okay you we have a we are ceos people are listening here i think okay well we, we actually need to step a bit back and actually you know get the strategy right get the positioning right revisit the purpose and start doing all that work but how do you because it doesn't matter in my how I see the world, and that's how you came out in your book as well, is that you need to set the foundation in place to grow a healthy business. And there's some basic pillars that you really need to to master in a way to actually make sure that you get the business that serves you and the world. Um, what, what are they and uh, how do we get started on it? I think one of the key things we've got to get comfortable with, Michael, is bringing people in that know more than us. And I think this idea of creating a core team around you of specialists that understand the different functions in the business at a greater depth than you do is one of the most important evolutions as a leader. When we're starting up, we, we feel that we need to be the cleverest person in every room. We want to be the, the instigator in a meeting. We want to be the one telling people the way what we want to see. And I think there's an evolution needed where the leader steps back another step into that space and the leader becomes the facilitator, the coach, and more of a servant leader than the dominant leader. So I think bringing better quality people in or upskilling your existing people is one of the cornerstones. Aligned with that, is your processes and systems. So a lot of people are limited by the quality of the processes and the systems they've got internally. And they're still using systems which they were using when they started up. And they've passed their usefulness. So upgrading the infrastructure so that you can have a much more lean, more efficient business is the second element. So it's your people, it's your processes. And then the third thing I think that the foundation needs to involve is understanding your profits, both understanding how you're making money, which services, which products are making you money, which customers and clients are making you money, but also being more deliberate with what you're gonna do with that profit. How much of that profit are you gonna reinvest in the business? How much gets paid out in bonuses and reward to the employees? How much is used for doing good in the world? So I think those three elements, your processes, your people and your profits, 
are the foundations. If we get clear on those three, I think it gives you a really found, good foundation to grow the business from. And coming back to what you said before, like really take, uh, you know, we, we talked about the people, the, the, the process and standard, and you say profit because, you know, people think they know what profitability is. But often when I see companies and taking over teams and organization, nobody really understand what good profitability looks like, what actually needs to be in place to actually achieve that. They think they know, but they don't really talk enough about the numbers because it's almost a bit, you know, it's almost a bit, uh, if we don't make the number, we don't want to talk about it. And, you know, they they use numbers to punish people. So numbers becomes a, a, a really, you know, ugly thing. And some CEOs don't really understand numbers. So they hire a CFO, which is actually, for me, is even worse. Because, okay, it's good. it's good you hire a CFO to become better at the numbers. But the thing is that really understand what drives the numbers before you start scaling. Because that's actually where, it, when it goes wrong in scale as well, is that because your profitability model didn't work at a larger scale, because you had a too simple understanding of profitability sometimes. I I wouldn't I couldn't agree more. I think that understanding the numbers is a um, a decision that CEOs, MDs get to make or get can make if they really want to lean into this. And as you say, sometimes, unfortunately, they bring an FD in and think, well, that solved that problem. But the problem then is that the FD is running the show rather than them because the FD understands the numbers and they don't. So I think a lot of the time it's down to the quality of reporting. And I think that if they're just relying on standard financial reports that are generated off the software of Sage or Zero they're not giving the right information for MDs and CEOs to really understand the business. So I think the root cause of a lack of understanding sometimes is the quality of the information given to them. It's not served up in the right format. They're not given comparisons. They're not given comparatives. They're not given commentary. And I think all of that is really important if you're really understanding what's driving the profitability of the business what are your lead indicators? What are lag indicators? And really understanding the difference between the two is critical. And again, that for me is kind of the work you can do when you're in the plateau phase. And once you've got that, then that can be shared across the organization. You know, there's something really empowering when you go into companies and there's a really nice dashboard or display showing how the business is doing and where where we're hitting targets and where we need to to work that openness and transparency to me is always a sign of a really good company when they're quite happy to display all you know that level of information across the organization yeah and then uh, you know there's also the, this approach also called open book management um uh and uh, there's a book called uh, the great game of business if people want to read that i can't remember the author right now we'll put it in the, in the show notes but it, it's a great book if you want to start looking and using the numbers differently uh and actually i went to visit a company that used this approach uh was it last week last week i interviewed david uh lockwood from uh neil's yard dairy in london and you come into the the organization and on the wall there's these charts managed by humans it's not online it's managed by humans where they move numbers around and 
it's open book management. Everybody knows how the business are doing. It's not a Xerox uh, spreadsheet that's been exported or something like that. It's really, you know, even down to the guy that, that drives the van has the ability to understand and impact the numbers. Um, and that different metrics and it's, it's some of it's the customer, some is driven by customer service, some of them are driven by uh, fulfillment levels and quality of cheese and so on. But it was such an interesting thing to see. And you could just feel this one, you know, one source of the truth in that company. You didn't even ask. You could just feel it was there. And that's where it becomes interesting. And, and he said, David, uh, in that interview, especially around the numbers, that's it. Because then it also becomes much easier to deal with all the unsaid things because everything is open at that point. If you're, But it's a big step, he said, and you need to take it in, in waves. He said, maybe you don't start displaying the salaries. You start somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. You, you start with the stuff that you're comfortable. And then as you get a good reaction to that, you can share more and more. And as you educate the people, and that's the other thing that we've got to get good as leaders of doing is educating other people on the numbers. You know, it's fine us understanding them, but do our team really understand what's driving the business? Do our frontline employees really understand the critical metrics? So yeah, it's it's a journey, but it's well worth taking. Yeah, and I, get, I, I, I know for myself, and I also know for when I've seen this been done really well, actually the people are really interesting in knowing these things and they're not going to hold you hostage. Quite the opposite. They're going to help you solve problems much quicker than any leadership team or any individual could do themselves. Well, then you've suddenly got, as you say, 100 people across the organization all focused on how to make that metric better. What could be better than that? Exactly. Alignment as well as we, we call it. Um, but also it's been, you know, we, we talk about this, you know, Nick, some, some really, you know, some of it is quite you know, high level thinking and people would get your book. will also see this as a quite a practical approach to this. But, you know, what have you in these, you know, 18 months we've gone through? What has been your, you know, as an observer and also working with CSO, what have you been your biggest learning? What is like one thing you take? away from, from from this period we've been through up to now and what did you learn from it I, I think the biggest thing is that um people can change the shape and size of their business to deal with the circumstance i think that some of the leaders have surprised themselves by the level of change they've been able to bring about and I, hopefully they realize now going forward that that is always an option that because we, we were doing something previously, we don't have to carry on doing something. So the idea of what got us here might not get us there. And this idea that we can continue to reevaluate the markets we're in, our offerings, our service delivery model, all of those things are always on the table. And just because we believed one thing three months ago, we don't need to automatically continue with that we should be questioning ourselves on a regular basis so we should be having this internal challenge around making the business better and a lot of leaders have had to do that over the last 18 months just to survive but wouldn't it be great if that was the default way of operating that every three months we got together with our leadership team for a day away and said right what if fill in the blanks and ran scenarios and got that creative juice flowing on a regular basis. And we took 
the good from what's been a really awful situation. But in terms of leadership and organization, we take the messages from that, we take the learning from it, and we embed that into the way the company operates. That we can always challenge which markets we're in. We can always challenge our delivery model to get a better one. We can create new offerings on the fly. There's been so much ingenuity in certain businesses over the last two years because of necessity. But wouldn't it be great if that was there all of the time by choice rather than by necessity? Um, and I think I think I actually agree. It's one of the uh, observations I've done as well. If people can hang on to call it innovation or creativity and actually you know, keep on trying to reinvent themselves, we will all get better products. We'll get better companies. Uh, and it's not doing innovation for the sake of it. It's actually doing innovation that gives sense for internal, external, for the planet as well. Uh, and actually thinking about how can we do it better tomorrow? Uh, we are making already a good contribution to the planet. We're reducing our uh, net uh, contribution to CO2, but how can we actually do that better tomorrow and actually just keep on setting the bar higher? Because that's actually how we solve the, the world's problems uh, through companies, I believe. Um, what, what, as you talk with CEOs and work with them over this period, what is they saying right now? Because I guess there's like there's a lot of struggles, but what is like the main thing you hear most time? that CEOs struggles with right now in their organizations? I, I think they're struggling with a level of fatigue, both for themselves and for their employees. So I think there's a, a kind of mental fatigue that's playing itself out right now. And I think that's a challenge. So we've got to, we've got to manage ambition in relation to the energy and the appetite within the organization because people are tired mentally and physically. So we should be aligning our ambition around that. I think there's still a high degree of uncertainty in terms of the political and economic environment that we're surrounded by. So again, I think that, you know, whether we're gonna have a fourth wave or a fifth wave, there is a, still this uncertainty that we might be still in this for another 18 months. We might be in this hopefully for only a few months, but there's a lot of uncertainty. And that means that strategic planning is quite a challenge because we don't know the macro factors that impact us and therefore how ambitious to be. Um, so I think the uncertainty, this fatigue, and in some leaders, there is this growing sense of curiosity around what they could do different and what they could do better. I think, you know, as we were speaking out before, Michael, there's lots of examples of companies that have really done well over the last two years because they've innovated and because they've seen the opportunity in the changing markets and they've created a better business model in that space. So I think there is that, you know, curiosity starting to grow in people about what they could be doing differently, which is great to see. What about what about uh, yourself and uh, when you have to help these CEOs with some of these challenges, fatigue and so on, how do you, uh, because, you know, it's like you have to be a, a powerhouse of energy when you come in to work with these CEOs. I could imagine sometimes they come in very high energy and other times they are flat. And you take them up, and that means that you need to be a certain place. And I, I've been very interested uh, the last 18 months, actually, to hear from people on the show 
what do you do to show up pro every day? Because it's it's quite demanding to play your top game every day. Because every day is the top game, as Michael Jordan said. Yeah. Well, what I've done is the first thing I've done is looked at my structure, both on a weekly basis and a daily basis. And I've worked out, I think, a structure which keep my energy levels at the optimal point for when I need them. So I start my day focused on me. So my mental needs, my physical needs, a bit of reading, become inspired and become energetic at the start of the day. I then switch focus to creativity. So do some writing, do some recording, create some videos. And then I only start working with clients generally from about 11 o'clock each day. So I give myself a limited period each day where I'm very energized and very focused so that the best version of me turns up for the clients. So I'm just being protective of my own time, being realistic with how much time I can really do the quality of work I need to want, want to do. Um, and I also build in days when I'm working creatively. So I walk my talk and I have Mondays for creating content and I have Fridays for strategy and creativity. So I try to structure my week so that I'm working enough, but my energy levels are high. So I'm not delivering focus too much on the quantity and focused on the quality of what I'm producing. Because in the past, I've coached too many clients at one point and was trying to coach 10 hours a day, for five days a week. And you just burn out and the quality of what you're offering just becomes suboptimal. So as we get older, hopefully we get wiser. And that's what I'm realizing I need to do to maintain my quality. And it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? When people want and need your help, coming back to the, the it's, it's a growth question again, isn't it? Both like personal growth, but also satisfaction, because it's a bit like being, you know, the, the rock stars don't play every week day of the week because that will kill them you know and they know they need to drop it in uh, and you can see on the tour plan like the rolling stones that's a great example i've been very strategic about how much they can do you know uh and uh and mick jacker talks about uh, energy high points you know and building up to that and, and if you watch this like a documentary on i think still on netflix where he's following mick jacker and see how he actually builds up the to the to the, to the to the those three hours where he really needs to be on his top to deliver and then how he actually builds down again to build up again uh and i think many ceos just continues on the high level and actually we burn out in the end I, i've been there myself lots of time did it again last year and actually the saying is that you, you say with structure i confirm that you need you need to try to test some structures even the ceo Maybe it's not your structure, but everybody needs to find their structure. Of uh, I call them monk mornings, where you really spend time on yourself, uh, or afternoon or wherever that fits you. But just take time out, really, to work on you. And they say the key is just having that structure, rather than being in reactionary mode, is just putting that structure in place, whatever works for you. Nick, this is going to be an interesting question because your book has so many advice in it and what you're already given here. Uh, but uh, on the show, I always ask uh, 
when we come to the end, what are your top three advice to leaders right now? I think we should focus on what are your top three advices right now they can do to, to grow, accelerate their business, improve their business, we can talk about. So the first one would be one I mentioned earlier, which is take time out for strategy and creativity and find a different space where you can be inspired and fix that in as a regular appointment with yourself to spend at least a day a week outside of your normal work environment, focusing on the bigger picture, the purpose and the business you want to create. The second piece of advice is not to shop hungry. I think when we grow our business, sometimes we take on opportunities, we take on people because we, we're servicing our needs rather than our values. And in the short term, it gives us a hit. It solves a problem. It's like having a piece of chocolate. It gives me a short-term boost, but an hour later, I've got the downside and I've still got the calories I took on, which I didn't really need. So... I think the shopping hungry mentality of waiting to the right opportunity and putting your values ahead of your needs is a really important one, and particularly right now. So it stops you, as you've talked about, Michael, just taking every opportunity coming when you're trying to grow a business. It doesn't work out well long term. It might feel great in the short term, but having the confidence to wait for the right opportunity, to wait for the right employee, to wait for the right customer is really important. And I think the third thing is that confidence as a leader to step back and to let others lead sometimes. So think about your own energy level. Think about the sustainability of the business. If everything always has to go through you, the business is limited by the amount of time you've got available. So having the confidence as a leader to step back and in meetings, speaking last and speaking least rather than speaking first and speaking most is a really important evolution if you can make it, really pays dividends because you spend more time in listening mode rather than in preaching mode. And it's a really valuable transformation to make. That's some uh, great advice. And the last one, you know, uh, is uh, is definitely one. Um, it's a tough one because uh, I would say for people out there, don't 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 feel discouraged if you fail at it sometimes. But again, that listening thing is so bloody hard, so easy to say. But sometimes when it's your thing, it's your baby and you just know where we're going, actually stop actually you don't need to sell it anymore they are on board they know they want to do this but actually giving them the space and holding it back it's one of the biggest challenges for for many leaders and i i'm i still struggle that with myself when i'm involved in things because it's just i'm so excited about it that i almost forget that i don't get any other the opportunity to become excited about it so i think that does that, that were all good advice but specifically that one uh, and they don't need a general at the front line I think we are past that kind of the, the the hero needs to be at the front line and they need somebody that can create the space for them to grow and they can only grow if they are part of making important decisions for the company. Yeah and and you know that leader being the coach 
is really important, isn't it, Michael? The, the leader being comfortable coaching others rather than leading others, I think, is a really important transformation. Yeah, and I think we we talk a lot about that, just to, 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 to dovetail that. We talk a lot about becoming coaches, but I think sometimes we think it's just because we, we ask questions, but we ask questions for the intent of asking the question, not really to understand what we're asking and what they're saying. And, uh, and that's what I see myself working with leaders is that they will fire a couple of questions and say, oh, I took a very coaching approach. I said, ah, I will say that you probably didn't hear what he said, did you? What What was the key thing that X said on your questions? And they haven't listened because they, they, they have a message they want to sell or a purpose they want to achieve. It's all great. But maybe that's the maybe they're not ready. The person they talk with them to help them with that, or that could be something else. And and listening is also not just listening to what people say. I don't think you agree with this, Nick. It's also feeling how people are in that moment. It's that invisible kind of thing, and seeing what have that notion of something is not right here, or something is really great here. How do I actually use this to to move faster? Nick, uh, if people want to learn more about uh, your book, your work of uh, Better Before Bigger, uh, where, where should they go and find you? Because there's so much else to dive into. We, we have only covered a, a small cornerstone of the great work you're doing. But where, where, where can they find you? The best place, Michael, is my website, which is www.nickcramp.com. Also, I spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn. So a LinkedIn, you can just search for me and we can hook up on LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much for coming uh, on the show, sharing your thoughts about, you know, leadership, growth, organizational improvement. Uh, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of people out there that have some reflection to do after this and maybe how they spent the time right now to think about how the future could look for them and their business. Michael, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for your time and for the questions. It's been great. Great advice, Nick, on how to reframe your mindset when it comes to growth and how you can improve your business so you as a leader get the freedom you're looking for. I would recommend you ask yourself, what do I need to put in place to get more freedom and actually having a different perspective on growth in my business? To get further inspiration on how to approach growth and business balance please also tune in to our bonus episode hospitality and infinitive game episode number seven small giants where we talk growth and how to balance it better if you enjoyed today's conversation please share rate review or subscribe to one of our channels a big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us bringing great insights strategies and tools to help the industry thrive not just survive check them out at bizsimply.com or visit their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ, you can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. And remember to download your free copy of From Fragile to Agile, a white paper created in cooperation with BizSimply. You'll find it on bizsimply.com under the resource tab or via the link in the show notes. There's some great insights and solutions for how you can improve your leadership game. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. 
And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingsar, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick. <laughs>